Hi, I'm Chris Hutchings and I'm your host. Welcome to the 10Q Interview Podcast. In today's episode, I talked to marketing expert, Mr. James Hamlin. This is a good one. I really enjoyed chatting to James. I took a lot away from it and I'm sure you are going to too. If this is the first time you're here, I wish you a very warm welcome. I hope you enjoy this podcast. I'm sure you're going to. If you do, let me know your favorite bit on social media at 10Q Interview everywhere you may look. And don't forget to hit subscribe wherever you're listening to this. If you want some added bonus brownie points, make sure to leave a review on your platform provider of choice too. It would mean the world to me, and I'm sure James too, if you share this episode far and wide. There is probably at least one person you'll think of, I imagine it's going to be a few actually, when listening to this, who would benefit from hearing it. So make sure to let them know. Anyway, enough of me rambling. Now, on to the podcast. James Hamlin, a very, very warm welcome to Thank You Interview. Hey Chris, thanks for having me, man. Uh, we'll crack straight on. I know you're busy. Question number one. You meet a stranger and they ask you what you do. What is it you're most likely to say to them? I am most likely to say to them what I do is I'm a husband and father of three, about to be four children. And there's a couple of reasons why I'd say that. So it's like I don't live in the city anymore. So I'd say that lots of the conversations I have are a lot more kind of, I guess, you know, you see out with families having real conversations and and things like that. But also I saw this recently where, you know, we kind of talk about our careers first. That that's that's a fairly recent thing. We never really used to do that, yeah. right? And and you know, my career is pretty interesting for certain people, right? Who kind of understand it, who who, who do what I do. But as I say, I don't I don't live in the city, um, so most people that live around here don't really do what I do. But I think you know, just for clarity, be, that was London, right? And you've now moved yes. up north. Sorry, correct. Yes. Uh, for people that don't live in this country, you know, when we refer to the city in, in the UK, we mean one city. But yeah, c- city of London. So I, I lived in the city of London for um, not the city of London, you know what I mean, in London, London and surroundings for, for a period of time. But no, I live um, live a couple of hours north here uh, now. So I moved out during the pandemic and life is very different. So yeah, look, husband and father, um, absolutely how I'd like to introduce myself. I think it's it's the thing I'm absolutely most focused on and the thing that I'm most proud of, that's for sure. Amen, brother. Amen. I, I also did a similar move out of London. And it's also something I've noticed. And it's kind of weird when you get in that London ecosystem where you sort of forget. And we used to have this as a problem. I, I mean, you work in marketing like I do. And I used to have this similar problem where we'd always focus. We'd always think that our customers were always London or the same mentality as us. And it's kind of weird when you get out. I mean, you've gone north, I've gone west. But it is really weird when you sort of get out of that, I don't know what, 50-odd square miles, 60-odd square miles, how different the rest of England is. Really different, right? And I think I think the chasm widens on an annual basis. I mean, look, I, I went to Derby in the Midlands in the late mid to late 90s, and I um, stuck around. We actually um, did our first joined my first startup based in the Midlands and lived here for an additional three years after uni. So, and I experienced that and I'd recommend that to anybody, right? Mm. Because again, you just get much more of a holistic view in terms of, you know, what this country is all about and the fact that there are things that take place out out, of London. And and, and and look again, as we said, look, we have one major city and we have that kind of bubble effect and it's, it's so, so different, right? So, so different, but like, you know, this, this is a one, this is a wonderful country and, and, but again, it's a weather thing, isn't it? We're, we're, we're less, we're less, um, 
we're less open to going and exploring it. And maybe, maybe we did more of that during the pandemic. We couldn't kind of fly anywhere and stuff like that. But like, you yeah, know, it's de- definitely different. And, and I think, look, also from a kind of what do you do? I think we've all kind of been guilty of this, you know, work in marketing and the like. And obviously that over recent years has kind of taken more kind of spheres and strands to it, which is really a good thing. I think what we've been guilty of of just we just chuck chuck a few brands out of people, don't we? we just yeah. kind of go like bump, 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 and then I'm guilty of this every day. Looking at LinkedIn and places like this, and we just fill in the gaps, don't we? Yeah. yeah. But I think it's just like right brand X Y Z. But but now there's more and more people working on more and more interesting things that maybe don't certainly more brands that I don't necessarily have heard of, right? So I think it's I think it's helpful. Let me ask you a bit of a provocative question, maybe. Do, do you do you think life's better? outside of London do I think life's better outside of London I think so but it it really depends on what stage you are at life right if you'd have asked yeah. me that 10 years ago I, I wouldn't have said that and I think look I think London is such an interesting place and it was only when I used to travel a lot with my job um, job jobs all the, all the time mostly to the United States and I think it was when I'd travel around I would mention London and just you know, various places of America that people go, it's the number one place I want to go. And I'd be like, yeah. really? Is it? <laughs> and no, 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 but, but, but I think, but I think that the city and its ascendancy and how it changed kind of things, things changed. I think, look, I think 2012 was a really important time for us with the Olympics and all these, all these types of stuff, because yeah. I think, you know, Britain, we've kind of gone from this point of view where it's like, we were a little bit ashamed of sort of talking about all the great stuff we did. And the Olympics was a kind of like big sort of turning point around around that and this kind of like cultural high point. So so certainly, you know, in my pre-children days, you know, and I was very immersed in culture and entertainment and the nightclub scene and, and all sorts of things like this. You know, it was the epicenter of everything, you know, but that's where it'd be like two or three concerts during the weeknights and, and fun and games at the weekends and, and things like that. But I started having children in 2015 and that wasn't relevant anymore right yeah, um, yeah. to the to the point where not only did I not want to do that stuff anymore I didn't really have have the bandwidth to do it so so it was like you know being so close to that and prior to that I'd moved out to southwest London out, out near Wimbledon so in a way that kind of felt like you're in a bit of a different city anyway so yeah so look it, it, it totally depends on, on where you're at but I think it's like when you open your eyes to other things um stuff like when you know when you when you can have, can have outdoor space and you can experience these things it's different but also pe- people are very very different you know so i think that you know certainly you know this the city that we left it's it's very transient you know relationships are very transactional they're very interchangeable people are running around at a million miles an hour doing all sorts of things yeah versus kind of like you know a bit of a cliche thing to say but first name terms with your neighbors, you know, um, good relationships with them. And, and when you have children, you kind of want that, want those relationships to kind of grow over time. So know the people have no plans on, on moving away versus when I lived in London, as you meet people, as you start to have kids, everyone's like, how do we get out? How do we get out? Yeah. Like, and go through that kind <laughs> of process. So yeah, yeah, it's exactly right. And, it, and it's a shame because you invest in the relationships and you're like, right, you're all going to scattergun out to various different places on the commuter belt and, you know, maybe you'll be pen pals with them or maybe you won't versus the kind of like the relationships you want to invest in um, over a longer period of time. It's interesting you bring up the Olympics 2012. I was talking to someone else about that like earlier this week and they weren't from London. I was trying to explain to them. Do you remember it well? I remember it so well and it's it's so vivid. It's like a dream, right? So I was um, I was working in ticketing at the time. So I was working Seatwave 
Uh, for those who don't remember, we we were um, one of the one of the, the largest, and then one of the largest fan to fan ticket exchanges in, in Europe. And it was particularly funny because we weren't allowed to resell tickets for the Olympics. And you remember the whole ticketing debacle, right, which kind of took place around, around London 2012. So it was tough for us from a business point of view because we couldn't trade on tickets during that time. Right. And obviously, whilst the Olympics was going on, not a lot else was going on. And it was funny, wasn't it? Because it was the whole hype thing that, you know, and, and I guess this is where we start to see the media, certainly in London, really, really ramp up with this kind of like fear porn angle where yeah. it's just like, you know, London's going to go into meltdown, you know, blah, 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 blah. You know, the city can't do this. And they're like whipping people up into this frenzy. So everyone's like, you know, I've got to get out of the city during the Olympics. It's like during that two to three weeks, it was like the quietest I can remember the tube in history. It was do fantastic. You, do you know, not only was it quiet, well, it was just amazing. I thought London came alive in those two weeks. I thought you'd get on the train and you'd, you'd chat to randoms. You'd get on the bus, you'd chat to randoms. It's just... I've never, I mean, I, like you, I've lived in and around London my whole life, pretty much. And I've never known it as friendly and as bubbling with kind of that enthusiasm and excitement as that two or three weeks. And it's kind of strange, right? The, the media were panning it. And it was just, I, I thought it was the best time I've ever, ever seen London. Look, I agree, right? And and by fair means or foul, I was able to get hold of various tickets for various things. And I think it, it sort of came to that, didn't it? You had to mm. be a bit of a Dell boy to get that type of stuff. But I can remember a friend of mine's wife was working as a working for the cultural attache of the American Samoan Olympic team. <laughs> Ran, random. But one of one of the things about the Olympics is if you're American Samoa with five athletes or you're America with thousands of athletes. Olympic ethos is you're supposed to be treated the same. Yeah, I can yeah. remember towards the end, we actually managed to get access to the Olympic Village, which was up just behind Stratford, uh, Westfield. It was incredible. Never seen anything like it. Uh, met, met Anthony Joshua, actually, day before his uh, gold medal fight. That was that was a real thrill, um, doing all that type of stuff. But like, yeah, again, fantastic celebration of the city, absolutely getting involved. And also, because I grew, I grew up down in Surrey, um, and also the bike race just went literally down the bottom of my road where, where I kind of left and stuff or all the kind of time trial stuff. So yeah. yeah, it was a good, good celebration of the city. Absolutely at, at, at its peak. And, and yeah, and I also think like we seem, seem to be doing okay with, from a legacy perspective of some of the stuff we've built. I've not digged it, dug into it in total detail, but I can remember when we went out to the Athens Olympics in 2004 we actually got. I was working at Match.com at the time. We actually got taken by Microsoft because we were we were a big advertiser. Those were the days, hey Chris. Mm. And then, um, and, uh, yeah, and like, I, I don't think the plan for Legacy in Athens, all the stuff they built, was probably as productive because it was just no. like incredible installation and then literally kind of like third worldy environment around everything else. So like, yeah, good time. Yeah, it was fond memories, mate. Fond memories. If you weren't working in marketing and enjoying your life up north with the family and the outside and money was no object you could do anything you wanted what would it be i would like to be a farmer would you i would and i'll tell you why because look so where where we live around where we live around here um you know there are there are some incredible farmers and they have obviously all sorts of you know land and infrastructure but they also retain quite an interesting uh, position within the ecosystem. Now, because 
the whole thing is balanced by subsidies as well, like from the government around farming. Lots of farmers don't necessarily um, need to farm for profit, which is an interesting angle around here as well. But look, I think it's it's the working with your hands. It's the uh, it's the building. It's the growing. And look, I think look, lots of the stuff that I guess we do and lots of the listeners um, will, will do around uh, listen to this podcast will do and the digital and tech space. I'm, I'm assuming like I, what's always attracted to me about it, Chris, at its core, is like you know. The technical bits and bobs you you you, you machinate with change on, on a yearly basis, but it's the building, it's the growing, it's the doing, which yeah. I absolutely find fascinating. So farming um, would be amazing. Um, so look, we're, we're fortunate enough in the fact that we started to kind of rear some of our own animals. We'd absolutely love to do it. We'd love to get my kids into it. You know, it's it's a lot more machine based these days, but like, yeah. Would love would love to be a farmer. And I haven't seen Clarkson's farm either. Um, that was going to be my next question. But, I haven't seen it actually, but one of the local farmers, I saw him recently and he was like, have you seen Clarkson's farm? I was like, I haven't seen it. I don't really watch TV. And and he was like, oh, you've got to see it. Which seemed like a bit of a busman's holiday to me. But look, I think it's just, a, it's an incredibly honest, you know, living where, look, you can make some incredible produce, but also, you know, presume you'll have some land so you can do all sorts of other things and get yep. creative and, yep. you know, maybe, maybe set up some, some shops or, you know, have people camping on the land and all sorts of things like that. But yeah, that, that'd be the life for me. I think. I think I agree with that farmer friend of yours. You should watch it. And I think what's really interesting is Clarkson is one of these kind of love hate figures at the moment. Uh, I mean, at any moment. Well, at any moment, I mean, we won't go into that, but, what I found really interesting and what he's done is he's highlighted how tough farmers have got it and totally. the, the the stuff they are going through on a day-to-day basis, the problems they're dealing with. And I imagine the farmers are watching it thinking, you know, I'm glad he's, done, he's put this program out because from, and I totally get that it's, you know, his, what he's saying in the program. And I haven't looked into that deep, but man, it is hard work what they're doing and what the return they're getting on it. You're talking about the subsidies and stuff. Like a lot of that I I think was EU based and it's all coming to an end now, but it's, it's actually a really good watch because he he's not doing it as like, I mean, it is, it's a comedy right at the end of the day. He's, 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 he's definitely hamming up the funny bits, but if you're interested in farming, I think you probably really quite enjoy it. Yeah, look, look, I, th- I think so. And, and I think, look, you're right. Incredibly tough, but I think we've made it tough, right? And I think, look, where I live, we, we have an ecosystem that, you know, lots of us talk about local, don't we, Chris? Like certainly in the tech space and stuff and mm. local and how we how we miss and we and, and we yearn back to a simpler time where local is a thing. And, you know, te- technology will play a part of that, you know, absolutely, and will be part of it as well. But I think this ability to kind of like, grow locally, raise locally, sell locally, share locally, work locally, right? Like if we can cut through and kind of retain some of that, look, I think like I think there's something there. Like for absolute for absolute sure. Right. And I think I think that's really, really powerful and compelling. Might be really interesting, Jude. So we we put in vegetable patches in our garden and yeah. we're trying to grow a lot of stuff. And again, it's not a money maker because once you've spent all the money on the fridge it's not at all but for us it was important because we wanted I mean, it sounds a bit i don't know we were i guess maybe but we wanted our kids to not think that all they had to do was walk into sainsbury's to to buy a, whatever 
Well, it's even worse, though, isn't it, Chris? Or just tap on a phone and it just yeah. arrives by magic. So, look, you're right. And, like, we got into allotmenting in the lockdown, actually. And it was when we lived in London. And it was actually a major, major godsend because we could go outside, we can do stuff, you know, we didn't have to worry mm-hmm. about social distancing, we could do all these types of things. But you're absolutely right. And it's like, it's something that, how can I say it? It's, it's, well, it's not mindless because it is difficult at times, you've got to get it right. But often it's, it's like mindless, but incredibly meaningful, certainly when yeah, you're doing yeah. it on a small scale. And again, it's this, it's this joy of working with your hands, getting your hands dirty and understanding. And it goes back to the growing and building aspect, right? So mm-hmm. it's like a case of you plant the seed, you nurture the seed, you grow the seed, you eat it. It's incredible, right? It's like your own startup. It's like your own business, whatever, whatever it may be. And again, like it's not necessarily, you probably, it probably is, as you say, if uh, more cost effective, just go down to the shops and kind of do it. But again, that's not what we used to do years ago yeah, and yeah. that's not not the simpler option so so like yeah if you can do it get into the habit of doing it i find it incredibly addictive incredibly therapeutic um at the, at the same time so like you know we grow food here and we have allotments here and stuff like that and again like some days you're like oh yeah don't really want to do that you know want to want to just gonna you know sit down and just you know hit it on my phone and that's fine but also as you say there's nothing like growing your own stuff and, and it tastes a hell of a lot better as well. So yeah, we're the same. We get our kids into it as well. They start off with small things, mm-hmm. um, but they kind of really, really appreciate it. And, and when you've got little kids as well, there's certain aspects that they love, like pulling carrots out the ground, like for little yeah. kids, is just like the most fun ever. You pull it out, spray it with the hose and they eat it, like those, those types of things. So I'm glad you're doing that. Oh, mate, it's funny how much I enjoy it. And I think if you just spoke to me 10 years ago, I'd have thought you're crazy. And like, but I don't know if you get older, a bit wiser. But then, do you know, I'm watching people on YouTube who are of the millennials, Gen Z generation, and they're starting to do the same thing. And it was never really it's, on my radar when I was a kid or younger, like, but I kind of wish it was. Yeah, it's a brilliant point, actually, because we, um, cause I guess we're of a similar type of age. And, and I guess where we are with, consumerism and the pushback against it, it it's interesting isn't it because like say i think my dad mum and dad would have had allotments when i was growing up probably in the sort of mid to late 80s and and again trying to get us down there it was like nah and we were trying to well no because we were trying to no, get I'm, hold I'm, of, I'm laughing because it's the same mate yeah yeah no, no, no but we, we were desperately desiring to get hold of um you know consumerism as it was starting to form right in any way in any, any way we could right so yeah. You know, whether it be TV, music, whatever things were available, that's that's what we would lean to. Now we're in a situation where you bring it forward, you have a complete and utter overabundance of consumerism, absolutely fingertips, 24 hours a day, versus kind of like stuff like going out and working with your hands and working with the working in the ground and stuff is something that people miss and they yearn for. Number one, and you're mm. right, I've I've been at previous businesses with much younger people that. Um, younger active people that if I was their age, I would have been doing different things. Absolutely all over it. Allotments, doing it. Now there's, there's a number of reasons, right? The whole Instagram piece is huge, right? Because it's it's very shareable. It's very viral, viral yeah, makes yeah. lots of sense. You've obviously got the kind of like, uh, you know, I guess like the veganism thing is a lot more popular. So kind of growing your own and stuff like that. But like, yeah, it's, I don't, I don't, I don't really use the term cool as if, as if I, I'm a, I'm a gamut of what's cool and what's not. I'm not sure that's even a thing anymore, but yeah, it's had a, it's had a whole rebrand, right? Yeah. It's had an absolute whole rebrand to the fact where it's just like, yeah. And again, you, you sort of 
if you go to, I don't know, which I don't do, if you go to Borough Market and you buy like, you know, organic vegetables, which I'm sure lots of people do, you know, <laughs> you pay an incredible bounty for it, but it's, yeah. it's, it's, what, it's what people do versus, you know, you can just, if you've got a plot or a box or even a windowsill, you can just, you can, you can kind of do it at home and document your journey and, and all that, all that, all that type of stuff. So yeah, it's just, it's just a really interesting shift and, and, it, and it's, look, it's a cliche thing, but things go in cycles, right? Obviously, depending on how long the cycle, the cycles are, Yeah. but it kind of goes back to the farming point that I sort of made earlier, right? It's like a case of, I wouldn't have said that, but if we fast forward and, and we, we try to predict, you know, tech's absolute ubiquity, it's like these, these these places now in our lives where tech isn't involved. I actually feel quite good about that. Mm. But like you also feel the daily pressure on a daily basis that the kind of the machines are coming. So anything that can kind of be like, well, actually, no, going to keep this machine free and this is going to be person plus nature. Feels like you're pushing back a little bit. Feels yeah. like you're kind of reclaiming reclaiming something that's very, very simple and very, very logical at the same time. Yeah, it does. Oh, what a great chat. You, you got into um, beekeeping, yeah? You got any bees in your garden? No bees. Um, thinking about it. Um, would like to. Maybe not this year. I've been in allotments before and people have had bees. Um, so, yeah, not not this year. But there's a... Um, close to where we live, there's, there's some fields. So, again, this, is, this goes back to the farming thing, right? So, like, when you become f- friends with farmers, you... Um, they have uh, they have access to lots of fields and lots of space. So not bees this year, but certainly certainly future years. But I think it's a li- it's a little bit like anything, you know, like any kind of like tech activity or job. You know, spend a couple of hours on it. You, you generally got about fifty percent of what you need. So not this year, but like yeah, future years for sure. Um, certainly want to do. It. I've been on allotments before where people people have had bees, and um, yeah, so. Kids, kids eat a lot of honey, so they eat honey on their porridge every day. So, so yeah, I think, I think, I think, I think, I think it's, I think it's in the tea leaves. I'll send you, um, I'll send you a couple of videos after this. There's, there's this guy called Alex Smith, who's who actually he's one of these young YouTubers, but he's getting into beekeeping. And we watched like this. He's we put them all in individual videos, and then he did this one mega one where he he edited them all together. And me and my wife just sat there and watched like two hours of this guy doing beekeeping. I was like, my life's changed, man. Like, how am I sitting here watching this? But it was so interesting. Like, to the point where I'm thinking, oh, maybe I'll get some bees. But I think in my garden it wouldn't work. But I'll send it to you after. I'd be interested to know what you think of it. I think you quite like it. Yeah, I appreciate that. And look, you know, look, it, look, it is interesting, right? You know, and it's been interesting for thousands of years since bees have been around doing their thing. And again, it goes back to attack as an enabler, right? It's yeah. like one of the things that would prevent you from potentially getting bees 20 years ago would be like, didn't have it. It was a higher barrier to, barrier to entry. Now, and, you, and you've spoken about this on previous podcasts of yours that I've listened to, where it's just like, you have to appreciate like the barrier to entry to pretty much anything is at an absolute all-time low. And you can say that about anything, right? And it gets yeah, easier yeah. on a daily basis. I think the choice you then have as individuals, right? I can jump on YouTube. I could do a thousand different things. Which one do I do, right? So it's like, again, you could get all the resources you need to get bees within probably a couple of hours. Find yeah. them, get them, supply them, do all this type of stuff, which 20 years ago, you, w- you wouldn't have necessarily wouldn't have necessarily had. So I think, so I think you're right. It's just literally, Chris, it's a choice of, where, where you point yourself and where you, where you point your time. And if you can find something that you, that you're aligned with, it makes sense. And you know, you're going to get some benefit from it. Then, you know, all, all, all the better, 
all, all the absolute better. But again, it's the it's also the the beauty and the power of YouTube, isn't it? And it, and it's just the kind of the way that it takes you off and flows and kind of get, gets you somewhere else and stuff like that. And it's just kind of it's probably the most addictive medium that I come across. That's yeah, for sure same. because it's just kind of like yeah, it's 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 all there. It is. You're right. Like when whatever you're into or whatever you want to find out. I mean, for instance, last night I really want to. I'm, I'm kind of researching this whole ice bath movement. Ah, and it's something I'd like Wim to Hoff. do. Huh? Wim Hof. Wim yeah, yeah, yeah. Hof. Yeah, I'd like to do it. I'd like to give it a proper go. And I keep getting spammed with these adverts on social media for these like little tub things, like made out of plastic that no doubt come straight from China. And I don't want to do that. So I, I started doing this research. Anyway, I went down this rabbit hole on YouTube about chest freezers and turning them into ice baths. Yep. And last night we sat there and watched, I don't know, maybe 40 minutes worth of these, I like five or six videos, these people telling you how to get a chest freezer and turn it into an ice bath. <laughs> we went to bed and my wife was like, well, you just made me watch for 40 minutes. I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> but it's, whatever, whatever you are into, there is like hundreds of people who have put out so much informative content about it. It's, yeah, I'm the same. I, I love YouTube. I think it's, it's amazing. It, it, really, ne but. it never ends. And I think the, I think the game changer for me was, and again, the major time suck for me was I'd, I'd never watched it on a TV before. Because you know you get all the apps and stuff. And yeah, it's all yeah, there. Yeah. You start watching it on a TV and it's just like, right. Yeah. And if you're into the ice bath stuff, it probably recommends to you, it must, those people that live in that, live in that little village where it's minus uh, 70 degrees in Siberia, you must get recommended those videos. I've not videos. seen that, no. Oh, you will. We'll talk, have this conversation, you'll get them. These people that live in this minus 70 degree temperature and how they live and how they go about it and how they survive and what they eat and what they do and stuff. It's like millions of views and it's all incredibly well made. Um, yeah, it's brilliant. It's absolutely oh, look. Do you know what brilliant. it's called? Um, I'll send it to you after this. All it's right, always fine. on my recommended, but you'll you'll see it. There's a bunch of them, and you're just like, yeah, fantastic, absolutely fantastic. Just just so it's so inspirational, right? Because yeah. the other the other thing is is that you know we some of the things we've been talking about today and the choices we have and the, the facilitation we have, like you know, life is you know, and again, like there, there's some twists and turns and and things that are going on in the world. I understand that, but life is generally a lot easier than it used to be. Like we have our lives a lot easier for our parents and they have it a lot easier than their parents, right? And yep. then you, and it's interesting to forecast that you sort of say, well, look, will it be easier for our kids or different? I'm not really sure, but it's really interesting to spend your time in that world where you're like, yeah, okay, these are people that are just doing these things just to be able to survive, yep. not, to, not to try to get clicks and shares, but to actually survive. And that's how people, that's how it used to be for people, right? So it's very humbling, you know, it brings you back to the farmer point, right? Very humbling, you know, very grounding on it. We can just kind of be like, right, yeah, just 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 how fortunate certainly we've had it and the gen and you know, this generation, you know, I guess I guess since since mass consumerism came around in like the sort of seventies and eighties have had it for sure. Mm. Yeah. We'll we'll move on to question three, because otherwise we'll end up talking about YouTube and no, that's fine, that's farmers fine. for the rest of uh, fine. hours. James, tell me something about you that not many people know. Tell me something about me that not a lot of people know. So um, not a lot of people will will necessarily know this, but um, certainly from a business point of view, but mostly everything I've learned in this kind of 
uh, digital marketing and growth world, I've learned from being a kid that was fascinated and enthused and inspired by um, um, hip hop and rap music culture. And yeah, and that comes from basically everything. So it was a kid that um, grew up, as I say, uh, was born in born in the mid seventies, growing up through the eighties, and the whole kind of rise of that culture. And it and it's fascinating to see that now. And and hip hop's just um, celebrated its fiftieth anniversary, so it was officially officially born in like nineteen seventy three in uh, Sedgwick Sedgwick Avenue in the, in the Bronx in New York City. Uh, so the legend legend would say. So it, it's really fascinating to see, like you know, they had the big celebrations at the Grammys a couple of weeks ago. Public Enemy doing Fight the Power as sponsored by Pfizer. I have mixed feelings on that, but 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 I'll leave that one for another day. Um, maybe I'll leave that for the soapbox section. But like, yeah. um, so look, it's growing up as a kid, um, and it is fascinating now to see you know hip hop and hip hop culture this absolute dominant force that basically drives decision making, drives everything. It wasn't really like that back when I was a kid growing up in the suburbs of Surrey. It was a very very different existence different journey and a different immersion but look it was something that absolutely powered my world and i'm, I'm doing i'm doing a, a marketing meetup um recently with um with, with with a friend of mine who's kind of gone through a similar journey we're talking about this very topic so it's what quite topical right now but if we go back to what we did whether it would be entrepreneurialism creativity um you know hustle uh, vision, like all these types of things, I basically learned from just completely immersing myself in that particular world, and um, because it was all I ever really wanted to do. So when I was a, when I was a, when I, I'd say when I was a teenager, the job I wanted to do is I wanted to work at a record shop, right? Okay. And that's that's a strange thing to say to to people in the, these days. <laughs> these days, but because it was such a now, I appreciate it probably wasn't long term, and lots of the people that I knew worked in record shops don't necessarily do now, but because it was just such a gateway to an ecosystem and a culture, right? Behind yeah, that yeah. counter with a gatekeeper of everything, you know, information, tickets, music, people, contacts and stuff like that. It was amazing. Absolutely amazing. And again, like whether it be putting on my own rap concerts or doing my own mixtapes or doing my own distribution or things, learning how to make music or DJ, wherever it may is, like it's all just been incredibly foundational and not a lot of people know that about me i guess i guess in the um in the sort of tech and sort of business world i sort of do these days and again i'm, I'm nowhere near as active as i as i used to be in it that that that's for sure and um and and yeah don't don't really play it too much in the house for, for obvious reasons <laughs> um as well but that that'll be something that people don't necessarily uh, know about me or i would say but it's certainly not something i hide and and kind of if you go back in the annals you know i've certainly done a lot of stuff over the years so in your marketing career more recently, sure. are there things you put into place as a result of, I don't know, things you've seen hip hop artists do or companies do or lessons you've learned from that? I'm just trying to work out whether Match.com has got a campaign that's because of, I don't know, it, something Jay-Z's well, done or whatever. It, I mean, it probably has now, right? And that's that's the fascinating thing, right? When you basically see these, see these artists, literally they are like pitch men and women for like every large brand that exists, right? Is there yeah. a, is a Snoop done a Match.com match advert? Probably, right? But they're the ultimate pitch men, right? 
pitchmen for products. You know, we're talking about halftime at the Super Bowl. We're talking about Super Bowl ads. We're talking about incredibly marketable individuals. And this was never the case, right? Because because mm. ultimately the the backstory that was created basically was not something that aligned with um, mainstream culture. I listened to um, excellent Interest, podcast. Interesting, use the word created then, right? As opposed to, is it not the back, like the real backstory? I mean, we can only speculate, right? But yeah. but for a lot, but but for a lot of instances. So if you can imagine, you're going back to listening to that music back in the, you know, late eighties, early nineties, and again, you, you have to precurse this statement. There was no YouTube, there was no Instagram, any of these types of things. Yeah, they would describe these places, right, that they kind of lived in. And you're sitting there as like a suburbs kid living in, 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 you know, they would talk about like, you know, say Marcy projects or kind of like wherever, wherever it may be, Queensbridge projects and stuff. And it was just, you paint a picture in your mind of what these ecosystems would be. Yeah. And the crazy thing about it would, would be that because you'd have multiple artists that would live in sort of similar types of neighborhoods. So again, you'd sort of paint the picture itself and it, and it, and it's, it's so funny when, so podcasting for for you know piecing the gaps in rap culture has been amazing right because you've been able to get these people down and actually tell these stories you can okay. go back and fill in the gaps that you never have around sleeve notes so it's like a lot of it chris is like why did that person do that with that person and why was he featured on this he just lived over the road right <laughs> he just he, he was the only one who had a mic he was the only one who had a car you know, just like, yeah, and, yeah. and that's the brilliant thing about it. Like, he he just had some speakers that were good, so like he came along, and that was it. And and you just like, really, you know, because you you ultimately would just kind of put these people on this pedestal because they created this incredible music, which felt like it was from a different dimension, and, and still does to this, this particular degree. Comes back, back to, to the that marketing, local community again, right? Precisely, right. And and go back to the marketing side of it. So there's an excellent podcast out called um, called Fresh Era. And they, and they take something from the sort of like the hip hop sort of past and they kind of dive into it. And there was an episode that came out this week where they talked about the Sprite commercial, which started in like the early 90s, where like Sprite, want, Sprite, I think, was probably the first brand that wanted to really enter into that particular world. And you talk about what happens now from an authenticity and an innovation perspective. So Sprite had the Obey Your Thirst campaign, which they started in the early 90s, where they basically. They wanted to be authentic, they wanted to be innovative, and they wanted to basically talk to actually kids at that level. Started working with rap artists back in the early 90s, and they were kind of one of the first to do it, right? It's often forgotten, right, in this particular, and they wheel out the campaign from time to time. But mm -hmm. there's a brilliant episode I was listening to recently, just harking back to sort of say, look, it was just so important what we did, and you fast forward to now, like, you know, you know, I think one of the challenges is that big brands and you know artists of this particular genre are very aligned very very quickly yeah. it wasn't the case then right because it was all because it was kind of like the countercultural side of it was the appeal mm -hmm. right versus kind of like now as you say like jay-z is aligned with big co like that, that, that's great yeah. but if i if i cast myself back to like the 16 it wasn't mainstream me, was it? It, it it wasn't the appeal right it wasn't the appeal mm -hmm. so that was different so i'd say like you know Certainly the hustle, certainly the innovation, certainly the authenticity, absolute aspects of the thing, the things that we learned. But, but again, it, it's funny, right? Whether it be like, I think it was just, but also what we learned was this concept of just this sort of, I guess, DIY startup culture that was absolutely professed, right? So it was like, yeah. 
selling tapes out the trunk, right? Or selling records out the trunk. So we try to do it here. So we'd make our own mixtapes and try to sell them in shops and trying to get reviews and trying to get that. And then putting our own concerts and our own gigs and all these sorts of stuff. Like you're building startups and scale ups and tech businesses, but you don't think about it like that, right? Yeah. You're, you're just driven by that passion, driven by that community, driven by that unity to kind of, you know, that's powered for you to, to do something. And it was, you know, really, really fascinating time. And, you know, incredibly incredibly inspirational for me so and it's just it's just really interesting to see where that culture's gone and where it's going to go right because i think look you know f- for me and again we talk about you know say growing up in the 80s it was the sort of i guess the advent of consumerism really it was just kind of like you know mtv and whatever it may be and all this type of stuff it's just going to be really interesting to see where kind of like music per se fits for the next you know, next couple of generations, it will be part of what people um, like. But again, I think it will become melange into much more of a kind of like, you know, metaverse, AI, multimedia, gaming type of personality type thing. So interested yeah. to see how that develops. Yeah, it's kind of funny. And like we talked about this with um, Danny Denhard a little while ago, and he was talking about how back in that day, and again, at the risk of sort of sounding like two old men talking about uh, reminiscing about old times, like you buy a tape or a record and it had like you bought an album and bands and whatever would produce an album, right? And they'd have this kind of journey they'd try to take you on from song one to song 10 or whatever. Whereas now we live in the world of Spotify playlists and it's not the case anymore. It's like you just, you have one song and... I'm as guilty of it as whatever. Like, you know, I, I have a playlist of all my favorite songs on. And I don't really go for, I mean, I'm getting old now, so I don't go for new music so much. But, and I said to, I said to Danny about it, I was like, oh, it, I wonder if that's a trend or am I just sort of, you know, just the old man who only listens to what I used to love. And he's like, no, he said he did some, I think he did some research or he read some research that was saying that even the kids these days will have a playlist and you pick once, you know, your artist or, I don't know, like Rihanna brings out a new song, they'll put it on the playlist, but they won't go and get the other eight from a new album or whatever. And it's just changing that whole landscape, right? Yeah, look, you're right. And I, and I think one of the major differences that I see is when you talk talk to people now, especially young people, and you sort of say like, you know, what music are you into? And 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 honestly, well, you know, I'm not I'm not the, I'm not the uh, gatekeeper to everything, but vast majority of the responses I hear is, yeah, a bit of everything. Just a bit of everything, mm. right? And that would be the polar opposite answer to what you would get, you know, a couple of generations ago. And there was a couple of key reasons, right? And, and again, it, it this is why sort of something like hip-hop is so foundational because that was, for us back then, that was the entrance way into all these other types of music, right, through sampling, right? So it would yep. be like, you know... You would hear this song by whoever, Public Enemy or Della Soul, and it sounds this, and then your dad would say, actually, it's this, and you go, like, wow, and, and that would be your music discovery piece. And it still is a massive music discovery piece piece for me. And you know, shout, shout to Who Sampled if you haven't used that. Brilliant app that's out there. But but as you say, it's, it's different now, right? Because you have access to all this music. And you say the power of the playlist, right? So mm-hmm. power of the playlist, number one, and also in the fact that, Think about it. we're all guilty of it. We sit here on these computers all day and doing what we do. Chuck Spotify on in the background, and it's just like, just do what you do, right? Yeah. And it just goes off and it does what it does, and it just plays all day, and it will play all day and all night. It will never stop if you don't stop it, right? Yeah. 
and it's just that kind of power and it takes you off in different directions and it's incredible for music discovery like absolutely incredible for music discovery which is um which is which is amazing but it certainly to me doesn't seem to have because you have different points in the chain in the fact that you know back then it would be like right okay the music i was into defined who i was right yeah. you wanted the label but also the definition right so i'm like i'm into rap or i'm into you know it'd be like you go back to school you'd have the kids in the goth the goths and the metlers and the and you know, the kids into like early rave dance music, happy hardcore, won't they be? And then a few yeah, kids. I mean, it even rap. went a stage further, right? I mean, when I was at school, it was Oasis or Blur, right? It's yes. like both the same genre, but it, it, within that genre, it's like, oh, you you were either Team Oasis or Team Blur. Well, yeah, and you would dress slightly differently, right? And you would add, you would have um, different things about your personality. So you're right; it was the tribal aspect which kind of defined who who you were. And I think, like in this day and age, I think there are still the tribes and the followings, but I think. I don't think they're as cut down musical lines as they were previously. No. Right. I think it's, I think it all has all become a little bit more homogenized down the middle um, in terms of kind of, and kind of where we are, but also as well, like there was a, you know, you had finite spending power, you know, and again, it's, it's fascinating to go back to listen to these old stories of things that happened 20, 30 years ago. It's like, why did that? Why did you, why did you have that? And why did you do that? And you'd be like, well, I only had a tenner. I could only yeah, get a tenner yeah. a week. Like, you know, you know, so these people come back and you'd be like, you're trying to tell me you were this age and you bought the XXXXX. You didn't, right? You had a, you had a tenor, right? And that, that's basically what you did. And and you know what? If you, you had you had a chance to buy one album a week and you listened to that 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 week, and if you made a mistake, it was it it, it was it was it was a shame. So so yeah, look, you know, as you say, you 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 risk to sound a little bit old and old about it when you go back to but again it goes back to the technology as an and as, as an enabler piece right it's this yeah. whole kind of thing about a case of what where it can take you from this point of view is absolutely absolutely fascinating and and, and will continue will continue to be yeah it's a it's, it's a funny topic for me because I, I i i remember fondly those times right i remember going into record shops but I will move on for the lack of all these Gen Zers who have just turned off. <laughs> well, record shops are back, man, and and that's a fascinating thing in are the they? fact that, yeah. So I've um, I've got very into um, vinyl resale over the last few years. So I've kind of like sold quite a lot of my record collection for you know very significant returns because you now have the pushback against it, right? So I don't know. And so you have people now who want to go out and buy the latest release on vinyl double vinyl nice sealed this incredible thing it's like 25 yeah. 30 quid right okay. and and for me it's strange because i was never doing it for that i was doing it for the access now i can get the access for free but again it's this little bit analog to digital pushback chris right where you kind of like oh, okay i can i have access to this limitedly limit unlimited digital catalog i still yearn for physical things Right. And I think you, I think Instagram has a lot to do with that. And I think it's kind of other things as well. So again, record shops are kind of back in the market's very, very different. I get frustrated because I go in them now and they've just used discogs to price everything. And I'm just like, well, yeah. you know, so um, there's this cert, the certain places. You know, I was, I was in a charity shop near me yesterday and I've got, I've got some good 20 P bargains, but like I, the, 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 those are rarer and rarer, I'm afraid. I might have to pop back to my mum and dad's. I reckon I might have a few quid sitting in the loft. It's worth it's worth it. It's worth having a look. It is worth having a look. You'd be surprised. It's like things that's um, LPs are generally LPs in good condition for certain things on vinyl 
have an incredible resale value. 12 inches, whereas the vast majority of my collection were are worthless because all the DJs have become completely digitized. Yeah, yeah, the collectors, yeah. the people who want to have a kind of like, you know, a curated dinner party, um, you know, brought to you live on, on streaming platform of your choice. You know, it's the physical kind of put down and stuff like that. So yeah, worth a look. Technics SL12, was it 1210s or whatever? Yeah, yeah. I still got one of those. Do you know, there's a whole there's a whole host of people who are listening to this have just suddenly paused it to go and Google what the bloody hell we're talking about. You'd be surprised. You'd be surprised. You'd be surprised. You'd be surprised. But yeah, we should keep it moving. Tell me about one of the most pivotal moments in your life. I'm going to use two and I'll cover them quickly if that's right because uh, they were sort sure. of similar related type things. So when I was, um, so when I came out of school, um, I went to college and I did computer studies and um, which was very, it was, it was kind of so, so for a time frame, this was like 92, 93 yeah. and did computer studies just because I didn't really know what else to do, but computer studies, computers were a thing, right? And yep. this was very early versions of the internet. They're called bulletin boards back then. And what I didn't really realize is that computer studies would, uh, doing, doing a computer studies, it was a, it was a HND. I don't know if they're still around. They're equivalent of A-levels. Instead of doing A-levels, you did HND. Yep. HND yep. computer studies. And, little, and I was like, okay, that's, that sounds cool. But little did I know it was just going to be hardcore computer programming. Okay. And computer programming back then was... Um, was uh, literally green screen, takes 10 minutes to compile, COBOL, C++, Pascal. It was dull. It wasn't me whatsoever. Just wasn't into it, right? Wasn't yeah. into it whatsoever. And ended up sort of flunking out of this computer course and got to college. It goes back to the hip hop thing, right? That was what I was really, really interested in. And was basically kind of flunking out of college, kind of not really doing anything, and I didn't really know. And again, it was like, I was like, I'll just go work at a record shop. I'll do whatever it was. And I was like 18, 19 at this time. Stopped going to college, stopped bunking off. And one of the main reasons was I just wasn't into this computer programming, right? Yeah. And then um, I was kind of going off the rails. And I was going to this college, uh, Brooklyn's in Weybridge, which is a very kind of gentrified place in Surrey where it's full of kind of people that don't probably need to work for a living. And then life wasn't really going anywhere, but I didn't really know it at the time. It's probably like 18, 19. Didn't really have any answers. Didn't really think about anything from, from day to day. And then I can remember my mum, she basically like, she would, she would ask me like, oh, what's going on with this? And what's going on with that? And what's going on with your course? And, and I was a bit of a kind of like, I guess Kevin and Perry, the teenager type <laughs> reaction, like don't talk to me, like la, 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 la. And that's not the way to have a relationship with your parents, but one that I thought was normal. She actually wrote to the school, wrote to the college, and basically wanted to investigate it and actually just kind of really pursued it. And um, they wrote her a letter back. And I, and I, and I still have that letter. Did she know um, you were sort of bunking off and stuff? No, because we didn't... She, she, she can't... My parents took a very blind eye to a lot of things we did. They chose to take a blind eye, okay. right? So they kind of, they didn't know the specifics. They kind of knew, but they kind of didn't really. We'd sort of right. get away with monosyllabic, monosyllabic conversations um, as little as we could. And, that, and that's been a very, that, that's been very inspirational for me as a parent because it's not, not the relationship I want to have with my children. Yep. So anyway, she, she, she did, despite a lot, not a lot of cooperation from me, she, um, she actually wrote to the college and I've still got the letter. Right. It's amazing. I might frame it one day. I'll certainly show it to my kids where well, they came back and they sort of said, look, you know, 
James is doing this, James is bunking off, blah, 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 blah. But thanks for getting in touch. We think he can do this if he goes to uh, Kingston College. Uh, Kingston on Thames. And, um, and she's, like, she's like, right, I've got this letter. You should do it. This is what you should do. Your life's kind of going nowhere. You should do this. And I was like, no, 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 no. So kicking and screaming and, and whining as you do at that type of age. But then what she did was, she really, really lent into it. So those of you who may know the Surrey scene, Weybridge and Kingston are two very different places. Kingston mm-hmm. was a very um, much more intimidating type place. It's a large tower block on the Kingston roundabout. And I didn't know anybody. So anyway, she managed to persuade me kind of against my will to go to Kingston College to complete this course. She drove This is me a computer there. science one. Computer science, H&D, yeah. Right. The course that I flunked, because I was like, I can't do it, da, 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 da. it's impossible, whatever. But she's like, no, I'm going to drive you every day. I'm going to drive you there, and you're going to do it. And I'm like, mm, no, 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 it's not going to matter. I'm going to fail. I can't do computer programming, whatever it was. But she did that, and I went. And, and because I didn't know anybody, I wasn't doing any of the Jack the Lad stuff or whatever it was, mm-hmm. you know, I just went there to work. I had nothing else to do but work. Um, I ended up getting a distinction in that, Chris. I was like literally top of the class. And it was because she'd helped me and basically removed those distractions. I had some teachers there that basically cared because I was there with nothing else to do but work. I didn't know anybody. My lift wasn't coming back to like four o'clock. I'm hanging around. I'm not doing all the Jack the Lad stuff. Was that the um, reason that the other college thought you'd be more successful there? They didn't go into that level of detail. I think they were, I think they were trying to say, because I'd passed the first year before, before it started getting really hard. But the fascinating thing was, it's like, and this is what's interesting, it's like computer programming then is not like it is now, right? Mm. It's like, it was, is this pre the internet? It was completely different, yeah. right? Um, it was completely different. But it was like, it was immersion, it was opportunity, but it was a real change because... My parents got involved and said, no, we're going to, we see where this course is going. We're just going to course correct it. And, and I'll always be grateful for them for that. So I ended up with distinctions. And, it, and it's funny, actually, I'd like to say that the, the positive positivity carried on. I'm not quite sure because I actually, I actually up getting distinctions for this, for this um, computer studies HND. And the fascinating thing was, I didn't even know this at the time. It was like the equivalent of like having three A's in like A levels. Yeah. So literally, I could have gone anywhere. But me just kind of being like, again, when you say this to people, the world was so different then. Like I wanted to do I wanted to do hip-hop and music and stuff like that. So I ended up doing not a particularly great course at not a particularly great uni because I wanted to do that stuff when really I could have done anything. So, yeah. so, so maybe I didn't keep that mindset up, but I didn't really have that type of peer set as well. So, so I think, look, a real kind of sliding doors moment because – if she hadn't have got involved, it would have, it would have gone the other way. So I, I would sort of that would be the parenting piece. And just just to quickly sort of answer the question with a sort of one B. I can remember when I when I when I was in the workplace, and I was working for my first startup out of university, and you know which was a, a, it's kind of like a bit of a, a story untold. So uh, we formed this this internet dating site called udate.com, which we sold to match.com in two thousand and three. There's only football fans on here. The CEO is a guy called Mel Morris, who's kind of like the Bernie Madoff of like Derby football. Yeah, he yeah, was yeah. our he was our sort of our I boss. Remember him? Yeah, yeah, he's around. So anyway, so I went through that whole kind of journey. It was absolutely fascinating. 
but as a young person and kind of into the sort of all the hip hop type stuff and things of that nature, I can remember my first boss, and this this was a really key moment. My first boss took the time to basically take me to one side on at least one occasion and say, look, and I was a young person who was kind of like, you know, cocksure about everything, took me to one side and said, look, you're being a dick, right? You're not going to get anywhere by being a dick. If you want to get into this stuff and you want to get into internet marketing, you want to grow, stop being a dick and do it. And I had the same sort of reaction of like, mm, turn me off or whatever. <laughs> but it worked. And it's why I would say this to anybody as a kind of advice to realize, look, if you've got somebody at that stage of your career that early is prepared to take the time out of their schedule mm. to have an awkward conversation, they see something in you and sort of say, look, look, we're young people. We're all being silly, right? Right. Because of the nature of what we are to take you aside and say, look, this is what you're doing, right? And this is where it's going. And if you want this, you have to change. And I, and I massively, massively, massively didn't appreciate it at the time. So I was like, mm. but now. I look back at those two moments, but they were two people. I mean, one was my my mum. She kind of had to do that, but just took it out of their time to sort of say, like, right, I'm going to help you. And despite Mm. my reluctance, it's like, seek out the help, take the help and change the story. I like that. I like that a lot. Do you ever ever sort of think about where you might be if that your mum hadn't? I mean, you say your mum has to do that. And I guess to a certain degree she does, but just because she has to doesn't necessarily mean she knows the best way to. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's difficult to say, right? Because we have these sliding doors moments. I think look, from, from two points. So like, again, the world is so different now. So like, mm. I grew up in a, went to a local comprehensive where, you know, I'll say this to everybody if they ask me, like, become the average of your peer set. You will do. Get a mm. great peer set of people that want to do what you want to do, right? Whether it be in business, in life, relationships, and achievements, you'll become the average of them. I went to a local comp, right? No one really went to university. My friends didn't go to university. It wasn't a yeah. thing, right? So I'm like, my mum, my mum sort of said, oh, you're going to go to university. I'm like, huh? What? Really? And, and then it was like a case of, but back then university was completely subsidized by the government, right? So yeah, yeah. it was a massive motivator. But again, I just didn't really think about these things. And if I hadn't have done it, I think my mates who didn't go to university, they're all getting IT jobs up in the city. like, And they all hated them already, right? They all yeah. hated these IT jobs they were working. So I probably would have got an IT job and probably hated it within a couple of months and then ended up in, maybe I would have been, ended up into online and internet marketing eventually, but that, would, that probably would have been that. And then I guess the other sliding doors is if I'd have stuck to coding, remember I had the distinction, right? I was like, yeah. you know, best coder in my class, but I was like, never again. But I couldn't see the future, right? Because like literally this was like in the sort of, this is like um, 96, 97. Mm-hmm. The internet was just coming. I just couldn't see it, right? It was like, it was just like technology back then was like Bill Gates and it was over there and it was all green screens and IBM. Music and culture was over here. Next yeah. few years, it was like, it all kind of came so much closer together. So I think if I'd gone on the path, I probably would have gone down. So what? So now, when I when I try to do lots of technical things, and I'm like, oh, to kind of reteach myself, I sometimes think, oh yeah, I could have gone down that programming route, but but yeah, we are where we are. Indeed, mate. Indeed. Tell me, is there a tiny practice or habit that has had a positive impact on your day to day life or work? Yeah. So I would say it's, and this is a, a tiny habit, but like, just be a giver. Right. 
and I can remember I did a lot of probably about ten years or so ago. My life was plateauing a little bit, and I and I um I, did, I spent a lot of time uh, pursuing like uh, Tony Robbins coaching, um, mm-hmm. which is some new agey aspects of it, which I wouldn't recommend these days, but all the practical stuff and how it just basically kicks you bum and gets you in order is massive. But that was one of his big things, right? They was really got on really early and, and I was just like, hmm, okay, always remember that. Just be a giver, not in a contrived way, like at all, right? Don't give to receive whatever, but you know what? Just, just give. And you know what? If you do that and you continue to do that, um, ultimately, you know, I think that's all you really need to do. And whether it's time to your teams or effort or, or, you know, just support in any kind of way, but just, 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 just be a giver. Like, you know, you, you will receive what you need to receive, right. When you need to receive it. But if you continue to be a giver and, you know, I guess it's a little bit like this podcast to some degree, right. You're being a giver, you're giving up your time, you're helping people, you're giving them platforms, you're, you're doing these types of stuff, but you may not think about it like that, but, but you are right. It's Mm -hmm. like, be a giver, understand you are, and just make sure that you're just you're just doing that because, you know, I, I'll be honest, like I, I ask people for a lot of things, like consistently ask, ask them to go for a coffee, ask them for their time, ask them for their help, ask them for their expertise, ask them to just sort of like their thing, things on things. Like, like, yeah, you know, so just, yeah, be a giver. I think it works. It's important. As do I. I'm, I'm the same as you. I, I have that philosophy too, and I, I just, it's that abundance mindset that everyone can do all right if you sort of share and help and yeah look look i think so right and, and again look but it's also an interesting i guess it's becoming mechanized as lots of lots of things are in this kind of day and age right and yeah. we're on a we're a bunch of the same whatsapp groups for sort of people who do what we do and shout to everyone on there but that's but that's that's the D, common dna strand isn't it chris like mm. all day every day people are like right Anyone help me with that? Anyone got a thought on that? Got a recommendation on that? Got da 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 da. And again, people are kind of, people are sort of clambering over themselves to sort of help, right? And it's brilliant, right? It's yeah. absolutely brilliant, especially for marketers who traditionally very ego driven, chest puffed out, like, you know, wouldn't talk to other marketers, you know, I'm on top of everything, yada, yada, yada. It's brilliant, right? It's just kind of like, and again, it's not, it's not because you're like, you know, and when it all comes back round again, and you kind of hear about it and you might bump into that person a couple of days, a couple of years later and be like, oh yeah, you know that thing, you know that person you connected me with, or you know that, they're not, like, you know, we're still in business together. We're still working and stuff. You know, like, that's cool. You know, that's, yeah. that's, that's, that's really, really cool because it's just kind of, you're just, you're having that kind of philosophy. So like, yeah. And again, like it's, it, it's tough, right? Because, you know, the internet has now created an industry hasn't it around being a giver right with you know and, and i think there's you it's, it's a fine line to, to tread right because we could spend our life you know filling out just giving forms and sponsorships and all sorts of stuff yeah, like that yeah. and again that's that's absolutely cool and i'm absolutely kind of fine with that um but again i, I think just you know just just be a giver but also as well it's like you know i, I do lots and lots of um mentoring and coaching as, as well and, and like it just it just just giving something back and, and just you know looking back at all the times you spent and the times you spent with problems and just giving giving it back to people you know i think it's important because i hark my i hark back to those people that helped me i was just, just i was just gonna like, say yeah. that guy who pulled you aside and told you not to be a dick right it's the same it's the same principle yeah yeah um, um it, it, it it was it was a woman but it doesn't doesn't matter oh, the story but but yeah no no it's fine, it's fine. sam could have been a woman but no uh woman was sam so shout to sam um so 
Yeah, exactly that. Exactly that. And it's just uh, this whole kind of thing of just sort of saying, look, just be a giver and yeah, just just kind of go from there. So yeah, it's it's just, yeah, it's important. I'm going to get a bit cheesy maybe, but like listening to some of the answers you've given, it sounds to me like you really want the world to be a better place. <laughs> don't we all? Maybe not. I don't know. Well, I don't know. If, oh. I mean, yes, probably theoretically we do, but practically do we as society you know go out of our way to do that i don't necessarily think so yeah look it's it's difficult to say right and and i think look it's i think world is a better place it would define what's better right and and now mm. i think we live in a very the world is very divided and you have these kind of digital battle lines that are drawn on a daily basis and you know 50% of people think this is better and 50% of people think this is better and and it, and it and it's hard right but I think for me, I think, I think, I think simpler is probably what I, I would say, because I okay. think like, you know, our society for the, certainly the last couple of thousand years has had some really simple things at its, at its core. And it kind of goes back to the technology piece, right? Like, let's you let's, let's use technology to sort of enable us and make things simpler. Yeah. But I, again, I think, I think a better place is simple, straightforward, logical, you know, um, all these types of things, not necessarily, more complicated and like you know i think i think a lot of us want that right deep deep down but i think but i think it's also you know i also spent a lot of time in my life chris where i didn't really know what i wanted right yeah i spent a lot of time knowing what i didn't want right but not what i wanted and and i think that my life is quite straightforward so i you know happily married you know wonderful children you know friends community society you know job i enjoy all sorts of stuff you know like i'm pretty that's it. That's, that's fine. You know, I'm not going through that period of, of time in my life. I'm like, well, what do you want to do? Well, you know, could pay for Man United, well, not Man United, could pay for Spurs or could do this or could do that or, you know, just, and again, that, that's, that's a fascinating thing, right? When you're in a little bit earlier on the journey, you have so many options, more options that you've ever had. And I think you absolutely should go out, sow seeds, figure out what you want to do and, and, and all that type of stuff. But again, when you're in a situation where it's like, right, okay, when you have children, it's like my life is through them now. Like that's yes. the the absolute you know tunnel to everything, right? Everything we do, everything we think about, everything is is, is through them. And it, and sometimes that can be complicated, but also sometimes it's just incredibly, incredibly straightforward, right? Mm. Because it just kind of defines what, what you do. And you know, our, our kids are schooled at home as well, so that kind of makes it even even more simple. If that if that kind of makes sense. You just totally changed where I was going to go with that conversation. Now you said that. How's homeschooling? You're, you're the second guest I've had on the podcast who homeschools their kids. Oh, who was the other one? I'll have to listen to that one if I haven't already. Rosie Sherry. Rosie Sherry. Okay, great. I'll she, check it um, out. It was a good, great episode, actually. Rosie, she's, if you don't know her, she's sort of big into community building and community yeah, management. Yeah. She's really interesting. But she homeschools her kids and she had a lot to say about why she was doing it. And I'm just curious what, what your reasons are. Yeah, very elective, really. So, like for us, we feel like it's um, it very much aligns around a parental, not responsibilities is the wrong term, but like just you know schooling as part of the developmental and, and learning journey, right? Okay. And again, and just to be clear, like it's it's not a kind of you you talk to different people with different different uh, viewpoints on this, and it's like well. 
home, homeschoolers generally tend to fall into a, a few different categories, Chris, right? So they'll have children who have, you know, um, fundamental learning difficulties and problems, right? So they can't function in that environment, which is yeah. logical. Or they'll have kids that have gone to school and will they've brought them out, bullying, problems, whatever it may be. And, and then you will have some people now who just kind of like, you know, object to certain things schools do. They could be not radical enough. They could be too radical, depending on yeah, where, yeah. Where, the, where the chips fall. I think we're in a bit of a different position in the fact that we, we, something we've wanted to do pretty much from, from day one, very electively. I mean, look, my, 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 my wife grew up in, you know, inner city London and just kind of experienced what schooling's like there. And that's a really tough cold face. So, so look, electively. How, how, you old, know, are you, how old are your kids? Uh, seven, four, two, and there will be, uh, oh, sorry, about to be two in about a month or so, and there'll be another one come in uh, in the summer. Okay. So st- still, at the, still at the start of their journey, really, but but it's like, look, something we want to do, something that, you know, we feel is is our kind of calling that, that you know, calling in life as well. So, so like, yeah, and, you know, lots and lots of communities, people that we know, and again, it goes back to the technology as an enabler thing to connect with people, fantastic. Uh, that we know are doing a similar similar types of thing, and it's it's like yeah, it's it's when you talk about homeschooling, Chris. I think a lot of people will frame it around the lockdown, and they'll frame a lot of things around the lockdown, right? Because yeah, yeah. it had this absolute um, effect on our society. And I think the challenge with the homeschooling that was is you had people just sort of like doing what they were doing, you know, both parents in a job, whatever, just cracking on doing what they were doing. Suddenly hit stop right back homeschooling chaos thrown into it juggling yeah, yeah. juggling jobs and stuff like that it wasn't an active uh, choice was it no, no precisely right yeah. but what you have is you I think you have since then you have um, lots of people have experienced it who've just kind of been like right okay this is actually uh, something that we really want to do and again like comes with sacrifices and those are sacrifices that that, that we make right so we are, we we only have you know we only have a one salaried household and that it basically means that, you know, you have to go about certain things, but we, but that's okay. Cause we believe what you, what you earn is, is, is kind of what you gain from it is, it's not what, it's not what you take. So look, fascinating worlds, um, you know, and again, like my wife deserves a hell of a lot of credit for that. And, and again, like fascinating to see it, fascinating to be part of it, really interesting to see where it develops and where it goes. And, you know, um, and, and sort of where the whole kind of education sphere will will become. You know, lots of people talk to me and they say, "Oh, look, oh, um, what's going to happen when your kid kid wants to go to university?" And you're like, "Well, my my, my oldest daughter's seven, so that's probably at eleven years time. Like, could you could you give an accurate prediction, Chris, on the state of universities <laughs> eleven years time? Like, no. are they even going to exist? Right? But I no. think for us, that like, we're we're really really like we love this concept of you know, apprenticeships and it's brilliant to see like apprenticeships are now having a bit of a new dawn. Uh, I did a podcast with um, someone from Multiverse quite recently and it's, it's fascinating what they're doing because it's kind of like the apprenticeship model. And I think, look, the apprenticeship model is huge, but also I think what we'll see, Chris, as well is we'll see a major um, skills gap as well because what we've what we've done and again through, I guess, the last couple of decades for us is we've been plugging the digital skills gap yeah, I think what we'll see for the next generation is we'll kind of have a manual skills gap, right? Which is going to be another interesting aspect to it as well. So, so like, yeah, it's it's fascinating. It's it's one of, it's one of the most rewarding things that we do on a daily basis. And um, yeah, in, it, it's certainly interesting to see how this education world develops. And again, ten years time, will we still have universities? Um, I, I, 
at the current rate we're going? I would assume not, right? Because mm. it doesn't doesn't represent value, right? And I'm I'm certainly not at this point where when, when I think about make my final financial decisions, I'm not thinking right. Okay, I need to go and accumulate multiple pots of money for these kids to go to university. Like, I, maybe I'll change my mind, but I don't really think yeah. about it like that. No, I mean that's a big topic, and I think. I mean, I didn't, I didn't go to university, so I don't even, and the reason I didn't go was because I just, I didn't think, it just didn't interest me and what I wanted to do. I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew that it wasn't university. I knew that it'd really be a waste of time. But now, going back to what we were talking about earlier, whatever you may want to do or your kids or my kids want to do in 15, 20 years time, there's so much resource out there to teach them how to do something that i don't know i don't know i'm not knowledgeable enough on the sort of curriculum at university these days to really comment like with any kind of authority but i just feel like i don't know whether or not it's currently doing enough in certain topics like what you what you could go and sit and and there's probably like students or lecturers listening to this pulling their hair out or throwing things at the microphone at the speakers but what you could learn in an hour on YouTube, and I know it's a crass and like <laughs> terrible uh, comparison, but what you can go and teach yourself in an hour on YouTube is phenomenal these days. And at some point with it where ed tech will grow and like you said, you know, technology embraces this stuff, I feel like universities in their current state are going to really struggle to keep up. Now, that's not to say that obviously when your kids and my kids are at that age, then university and what it is, it's is totally different who knows but you're right 11 12 years who knows what's going on yeah look precisely right and again if i look back at my journey again like i went to university and again we're probably at a similar point but go go back to i had these amazing grades somehow so mm. like, so my parents like yeah go to university and i was like okay but it was completely subsidized by the government yeah and i got a full maintenance grant right so the main motivation for me, Chris, back then, so it's the mid mid nineties, was to um, to move out, move out. That was it, yeah, yeah. right. And again, I hope, and I don't know, but I hope that you know when my when my children of a similar age, they won't have as much of a compelling reason to be like, I gotta get out of here. Maybe they will. I don't know, but they, I've got to get out of here, right? Even though I was, I had plenty of freedom here, but the, but then I would say that one of the but one of the, and again, and my motivation when I was at university was to to stay there. Don't stop the party. Keep it going, right? Yeah, Get yeah. all the minimal grades you need to. But that was just me, right? But the one thing I would say that was was a brilliant learning from this, and you do this in all sorts of ways. Up until I went to university, I'd been kind of mollycoddled, right? Like you're mm. at school, they look after you. Parents look after you at college. I remember that was one thing about university. I'm like, right. You're really exposed. You're really on your own. You've got to sink or swim, yeah. which I think is incredibly valuable for young people. But there's obviously different mechanisms you can do to do that, right? Yeah. But it's just like, right, stand on your own two feet, figure it out, kind of go from there. But again, it was all sub- subsidized. Costs were covered. My rent was, was was kind of super low. But but you're right, Chris. It was like, that was what people did back then. And again, I, like I did a music technology course, match with information systems, right? So I was... I was learning to use music kit like it's obsolete, you know, 15 years ago, you know. So, but, but again, but, but, but the other thing was is, but this is, but this is where it come power for me was 
the relationships I made, the friendships mm. I made, the people you meet, the experiences you have, like those are great, right? Absolutely yeah. amazing. And I'm still friends with a bunch of people uh, that I met at that period today, some of my best friends, and that's amazing, right? Yeah. So I think it's this, I think if you think about the benefits of like, right, go out, turn up the heat a little bit for young people, let them go out and have to fend for themselves, but also allow them to expose and meet new communities, come out of their bubble, different people, different cultures, you know, again, it goes back to the rap music thing, right? I can remember when I went to university, I was like, I was sort of worried. I was like, oh yeah, if, if I can't meet people that are into rap music, you know, this is going to be a problem and stuff like this. <laughs> but, 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 but I was a kid. I wasn't thinking about it. Right. Right. But yeah, it, again, yeah. it's like all the friends I met, yes, they, none of them were really into it. And it just quickly kind of made me realize that that's such a insignificant part of life. Right. Yeah. It's like a case of like, can you meet people from different cultures and backgrounds and, and, and environments and growing up and stuff like that and, 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 and learn from them and be a better person, which is, and I think look, there's so many mechanisms to do that, Chris. Right. And you know, what it, university was, was it being the only choice becomes an option, but yeah, yeah, yeah. watch this space. I would say. Agreed, mate. Let's talk about superpowers. I believe everyone's got one, at okay. least one. What would you say is yours? I would say mine, Chris is versatility. And I, I read about this quite recently on a, I read Stephen Bartlett's book, actually, which is, which is a really good read, actually. I don't watch a lot of his stuff, but I read his book. And he talks about a similar type of thing. What made him a good CEO was literally mm. that versatility. And I think that's been my superpower and what will continue to be in the fact that, like, look, being able to spread myself across multiple different aspects of what I do at a fairly decent standard, but also being able to be fairly comfortable at it. So like, say for example, so won't be the, I don't have the world's best data chops, but you know what? I'm okay. Right. Yeah. Um, I'm not the world's best in-person networker party person, but you know what? I'm okay. Yeah. And what I've generally found is like people would be, really good at these things, but then have these absolute allergic reactions to these other things. Yeah. And like, for me, I, I kind of like, I think my versatility across a number of different categories and areas and aspects, I think that's my superpower. If, if I have one, sometimes they're classified as T shaped markers, I guess, but just this ability to sort of like jump into situations with different skills, different aspects, different attributes, you know, survive and hopefully thrive. You know, I think, I think, I think that's what I, certainly what I've done over the last few years, and it's just, it just, you know, allowed me to, you know, just enjoy what I've what I've done really, and just not have these kind of repulsive reactions to these things that that others may have. I, I guess. Do you know, it's a good superpower, and it's good because I think a lot of people like versatile. I consider myself quite versatile as well, and. I think a lot of people reflect on that generally as, oh, jack of all trades, master of none. And it almost gets it. And you talk, they talk about it a lot in marketing as well, like the generalist versus the special, well, actually not even marketing, business and entrepreneurship, the generalist versus the specialist. And I actually think it is a superpower being, having that versatility. And I agree with you 100% because it just opens up so many different doors and avenues and paths and which you don't necessarily do if you're kind of like laser focused on one thing. 
no, definitely. And again, it goes back to that sort of like that hip hop upbringing, that DIY culture, but also like, because I started in startups of like less than 50 people, fast growth and, and sort of spent most of my career in sort of from sort of startup through seed through series BC type businesses. Yeah. You know, it's been that kind of like zero person to 150 person type businesses. I spent some time in very, very big code, but not a lot. Like, you just don't have an option, Chris, right? Yeah. That, that, that's the thing, right? It's like, if you are, if you work at a, a big company and, and, and shout to all the people that are, and you can specialize in this, in this really, really cool thing, well, that, that's great. But for me, it was never really an option. It's just like, right, you know, as, as a marketer, you're like, you couldn't be that, right? Yeah. When you've sorted out all this stuff, let me know, and I'm going to make you a really, really cool ad, and I'm going to tell you when mm. it's done. It was never an option. So yeah. you'd have to just kind of be like, right, demand side, supply side, technical, brands, kind of like quant, qual, like whatever it may be, just because it was what the mission required. And and you find that as you do different businesses and different things and different roles and stuff like that, it's the ability to just kind of pick these types of stuff up. And again, I've got so much respect for people that have gone down that specifically very, very deep, targeted, really, really good at that one thing route. That's, that's amazing, right? And, yeah. and it's amazing that they've kind of done that. But but for me, it's because that was never really the appeal. And it's probably one of the things I miss maybe about a lot of this remote working stuff. It's like the, you know, I, I, I could I can dive into as much data as, as the next person and, and enjoy it and, and see the future of that labor. But, you know, it's meeting people face to face was, again, was something that I, I had equal uh, gravitas towards. But then often those stereotypical personas would not necessarily meet in the middle like that. So that's what I would yeah. say. Versatility, versatility, even great superpower. Hopefully, I think so. Next question: What topic is guaranteed to get you on your soapbox? I think we just touched on it. Actually, I think this um, the future of remote working and what it means to us as people and communities and individuals. I think it, I think it doesn't get talked about enough. I think it was something that sort of happened a little bit out of the blue. Um, and again, prior prior to the the pandemic, I, I, I would work remotely and flexibly as as you kind of needed it. But now it's kind of you know it's two weeks to stop the spread. We're going to change stuff. But now we kind of seem a little bit in limbo as a society in terms of what what we're doing and what we've decided because you know we have no restrictions that I know of right that, that prevents us legally. But we're mm. in this kind of like quasi in quasi out type of situation, which is again tons and tons of benefits right clearly and tons yep. of enable enabling things clearly and it's interesting actually when you're out and about like i was in canary wharf the other day and that seemed as as, as as busy as it was but i would i guess i would say i get on my soapbox about it because it's just a little unclear the next five years or so what it's actually going to do to our societies right and again benefits Get it, understand it. You know, I'm I'm currently in my just in a room at the end of my garden today. Like, understand all that. Yeah. But also, it's like I think that there are people that are doing it too much, spending too much time on screens, not having these conversations, not going out and about. And again, it's tough, right? Because around us, infrastructure is crumbling, right? The trains cost more. They're on strike. It's a pain, and all sorts of stuff like this. But I think it's just. It was just something that came into our society very, very quickly, and no one had a had a had a had a say around it. And it is what it is. And now, when you start to, and again, 
LinkedIn's a bit of a battleground, isn't it? Around like two people yeah. either side and people pushing this, that, and the other. But it's like our society kind of changed incredibly quickly, and like we're in we're in we're in the start of it, and like just, you know the economy needs to get kickstarted, and people need to go back doing what they're doing and what the future is. So I think if I got my soapbox, it would maybe be about that. What What would you like it to be if you were if you were PM for the day and you had the power to? Look, it's a difficult one. It's really, really difficult because I think, look, we, we're now in a situation where, you know, um, there, there is no reason, you know, people, people will give you a number of reasons why they can kind of, um, that they can do what they do at home and they move and location and stuff like that. But I think, look, it's, I think, I think it's about, I think it's about the companies and it's tough for companies in the employment market, right? Because mm-hmm. companies have to offer it to hire certain people. But I, I would say, look, you know, if I was in charge of a PM, I think it, if I was the PM, I think it would be just as much of a push as humanly possible to get people out and about and in the fresh air and off a screen and doing stuff and, and maybe that's what a lot of people are doing more of now they're working remote. It's difficult to say, but I think it's just, I think it's just going to be interesting, Chris, certainly for the future of companies. And again, I, I totally get the other side, right? You know, I are, work are with people saying, remotely all the time. So are you saying then, James, do you think there's like a blur between when you're working from home, you think people are on screens more than when they're in the office? I would say so. Because okay. they have to be, right? have to be to kind of yeah. communicate consistently yeah i suppose yeah obviously you not have those face-to-face meetings as much i guess yeah but it but it, i think it goes back to my previous point right and as i say like straight after this i'm i'm uh, i'm working with a client of mine he's he at the moment he's in india right and that and that's that's incredible right because what what we do I mean, we could use the phone and stuff like that before that that's incredible but again it kind of goes back to my point of like tech as an enabler yeah. not a de facto state and I think it's this kind of it's this kind of adage. And again, I know a lot of people like it. They do kind of lean more technical side. They'd be like, "Well, it's great because it means I never have to I never have to see people in person ever." <laughs> I think I think we're so missing, funnily, think we're... funnily enough, that was that was initially that was my view. I was like, "Great, I don't have to slog on the train. I haven't got to like talk to people." It's amazing how quick you miss that just water cooler talk or that just random serendipitous meeting of someone you haven't seen you're walking down the street to the station or whatever like it it's, it's kind of funny and i'll tell you what the big thing i think of is when i was going back to talking about when you were younger and the stuff that i learned as a youngster in whether it was in finance or marketing or wherever that you pick up because you're in that office and you're chatting to people and you're getting that kind of um connection I feel like they're not, you know, the younger generation are not going to get that anymore. I, I think that's an issue. Yeah, and again, it, it kind of comes back to the sort of the the, the, old, the old people thing, right? The uh, the old men sort of looking at it. But again, I think if you if you look at some of these anecdotes and examples that we've reflected upon today from either side, I think mm. very few of them will uh, reflect upon um, things that we did completely remotely, right? That's that's the difference. It'd be things now, but again, but the counter argument is 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 like, look, we're here on screens, different parts of the country. Like yeah. I used to, I used to run my own podcast about ten years ago, and it was just it was it was it was a real real nightmare because all the tech and I had a lot like, all the mics and the mixers and all sorts of stuff like this. 
oh, this is this is incredible, right? This is yeah, incredible. Yeah. We can do this, right? Incredible. And like, let, let's not let's not lose sight of that. But but also again, like it's something that we can do versus other things. And I think like also in, in the marketing sphere, it's like it's something that's always been, you know, very relationship based relationships conversations ideas you know um you know representation all these types of things. and those are the things that always a biz dev you know yeah, those yeah. things always appeal to me right they, they absolutely always appeal to me the social part of it the events and stuff like that and again still goes on i absolutely get it i absolutely get it but it's just this kind of like de facto state and you know we're, we're part of this marketing group aren't we chris and they run mm. these polls which are super useful and then you see it and you're like whoa okay right but but to my previous point, Chris, it's like that's cool, but like what like as three years ago, someone's like, right, stop the spread, you're doing it. Like, what happens now, right? Yeah. Like it, it's sort of just existing. But it's always the focus is always on the positives, right? And no one's really kind of thought about the downsides. I don't think. I mean, maybe they just don't talk about it. But any anyone I, I, you talk to about it will always say, oh yeah, but you know, I can pick up my kids earlier i can you know t- put the washing on i can do you know but i've got to pay for my train fare and all i agree with you all of those great points but i do feel like there's this underlying thing that i don't know socially that's not really been talked about look look i think so right and again like lots of people talk about oh i want to be on the right side of history and history will say this and stuff you know i'm a bit of a history nerd and it's, it's only when you kind of look back right multiple years in the future and you look back and you can sort of say well that's what happened and that's what the result was and the the result is we won't we aren't really going to know like it will have seismic changes to our society but because again like there's lots of people that can't work from home right have to go out you know talk about the farmers before right you know they have to go out (laughs) And, and all sorts of jobs as well right and all sorts of people going out doing brilliant jobs that enable you and i to sit here doing this they're not sat here and again it adds to societal division. It adds to the haves and had nots and da 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 da. Like this, this, this is this is this is all I'm saying. So we'll look back in the future on, on this particular period in ten years' time, and and what will happen? I don't know, right? So, yeah. but 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 I think it's I think I think it's just it, it's just a good soapbox topic because it's difficult to have that conversation digitally. But when you when you speak to people about it, you know, lots of people have you know similar types of views. And again, it kind of goes back to the be a giver point, right? It's just like, well, try to sit back and sort of think, right, okay, what's this doing to those people that you never hear from on the Zooms? You never do this. Like, what's it actually doing for them, right? And again, mm. we'll, we'll find out in the future, I should imagine. Indeed. Indeed. Let's talk about advice. You might have covered this earlier. I don't know if this is going to be uh, going back to your mum or your previous boss, but tell me some of the best pieces of advice you've heard. Best piece of advice I've heard is, is the advice I would give anybody is um, play to your strengths. Don't focus on your weaknesses. And it was such good advice to me. And I think that might have come from Tony Robbins coaching and stuff because I was someone who spent a lot of my life thinking about my weaknesses, right? And thinking about all the things that I couldn't do because of, because of whatever, right? Yeah. And that's not a great place, because you're always going to have weaknesses. And again, we now live in a society where everything's so aspirational and all these influencers have the world's best life and they do X, Y, Z and all sorts of stuff. And you, and you look at it as a, 
and you're like, I don't look like them or act like them or have what have a physique like them or whatever it may be. But the reality is, is like all of us have some incredible strengths, right? Yeah. And they will be manifested in different ways. And you know what? Those strengths may mean that you will become a tech founder or those strengths may mean that you'll become a father or a parent or a, or whoever it may be. You may work in the local shop, but those, those will be your strengths. Focus on them, right? Develop them, improve them, work on them, make them better, but focus on what your strengths are. And again, it comes kind of goes back to an age thing. You reach a certain age where you're like, you know what? Not suddenly about to massively, like, I know who I am now. I know what my strengths yeah, are. Yeah, because yeah. you have, you as an individual have so much to give to a business, to a community, to a husband, to a wife, to a friend, to a partner, wherever it may be. You have mm-hmm. those strengths. Like, focus on what you can do and what you have done and what you deliver. But also understand, like, those strengths aren't for everybody, right? Yeah. And, you know, it may mean that you're like, well, well, actually, I want to do this job and I need these particular strengths and I don't have them and do it. Well, if you really, really want those job, that job, you're going to have to go away, develop those strengths and come back and get it. And you can do that, right? Yeah. But it's like a case of just don't, you know, don't think about the 50 things you can't do. Think about the three things you can do is what I would say. Solid advice. I like that. I like a lot. Do you tell that to your kids? Um, a bit young, a bit young for it. Bit, bit, bit young for it, right? Bit young for it because, like, you know, they're at that, they're at that point where they can do anything, right? But again, they're yeah. restricted because they're a little bit kind of too young and stuff. But I absolutely will do because, because I think one of the things it's just, it's just trying to navigate them through all the all the things that society will tell them, right? Yeah. Um, but the reality is, is that, and you know, this and we talked about this earlier as well. Like, you know, in this day and age, you know, certainly living in the West, you know, you could pretty much do anything you want right really right if you're focused on it and work hard and you figure out what you can do and i think it kind of goes back to the homeschooling thing if you could develop you know decent work ethic decent focus concentrate on things see projects through you know be a be a decent teammate and all these types of things that you you know you teach in life through various different aspects and you learn through sports and all sorts of stuff then then yeah i think i think i think i think they'll generally be okay which is a bit of a flip-flop to the kind of like as i say the influencer influencer you know deliver culture that we live in now with like these absolute perfect people with absolute perfect lives and absolutely perfect you know futures and you know perfect opinions on things that um that are very crafted like that's not you know i don't think we should see real is it that right it's not real it's not real right and but unfortunately it's become this aspirational position that you know people people strive for and you know they should always strive for things but you know, that, that, that perfection that, that, that you see in those type of environments. And that's the weird thing, isn't it, Chris? Like, we all know it's fake. We all get it. We all understand it. We all say it's a, we all kind of poo-poo it. But then ultimately, I think the, the beast still feeds it to us, right? And oh, we're still mate, kind of immersing it in that regard. James, I do it all the time. You know, I'll put, I want to put out a video or I'll record something and I'll stop myself doing it because I'm like, oh, I'm not, I can't do it. I don't look right. It sounds rubbish. You know, I'm not, I can't deliver it like Louis Theroux or I can't create a blog like Casey Neistat. Do it all the time. Even like, you know, when you get to our age and our level of experience and wisdom and perceived wisdom. So, yeah, it's kind of weird. I think about that from my sort of, from my kids' perspective and they're sort of growing up into this, like how, um, how it's going to be for them 
and or even the young you know the younger generation who haven't had that wisdom that we've got and it still impacts us right it's kind of a bit weird but definitely what you can do definitely james let's talk about if we spoke again in 10 years time and you'd consider that to be to have been a pretty successful decade what what would have happened yeah look a common theme in terms of what we talked about for me so much of my lens is through family right family and children so you know my 10 years time my daughter will be 17 my my other son will be 14 my other son will be 12 and my other son or daughter that's coming will be 10 and maybe 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 there'll be some more and but just i just i just view my life through that particular lens and you know my wife will be that so it's like a case of you know success will be kind of success through them you know that they've been uh brought up in the right way that they're 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 functioning as as you know meaningful members of society and you know i'd have been successful if i you know provided them the things that they want uh sorry not the things that they want the things that they need rather the things that they want Mm. um but no so so things they want a whole different story well well quite well quite right but like no so me me as a kind of like uh father and and sort of parent you know i would have been able to gone out and provide and get them the things that they need successfully so that would have been good and um you know no more complicated than that really chris you know Mm. like we'll talk in 10 years time will we be doing similar-ish types of things to what we're doing now from a job perspective profession probably right but like but but yeah but that that will that will kind of be that but um, but maybe we won't right but i think it's like a case of but that will be the 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 success piece for me And, and i think like from a personal perspective you know from a kind of career sort of like breadwinning earning perspective like you know hopefully you know continuing to build stuff grow stuff you know, it comes back to the marketing thing, building things and maintaining things that customers want, you know, customers want, customers like providing something that's useful, something that's helpful, yeah. you know, something that something that, you know, we need, not just another kind of competitor on the shelf. You know, that 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 would be really, really cool as well. But it's like, you know, I think you when you have children, you it's, it's just a frame for everything. Right. It's just like you lit. It stops you in your tracks, doesn't it? It's just like, OK, I think about the kids in terms of a timeline, be like. What happened then? Oh, kid was that age. Oh, right. Yeah, wow. Yeah, yeah. Right. Do you know what I mean? It's just that that's the that's the kind of way it is. So so I'll just kind of be like, right, okay, I'll have a 17-year-old daughter. What will that mean? Right? Okay, it yeah. will mean this, it will mean that, and, and, and stuff like that. So so you know that that that's that's what I think about. And you know, and I I'm absolutely, you know, I am really, really excited about the future, you know. Um, and I think it's hard to be in this day and age because we, you know, we have you know, media. There's a lot of people that, telling you why you shouldn't, right? Quite right, and yeah. and you know, I think that I, I don't spend any time listening to that because I, I don't see that as something that's beneficial, right? At all. I think I think I think life is a is a much simpler thing than that. You don't need to be told about life through the through the lens of the media. You can discover it yourself, and you could just kind of be like, right, you know, there, there will be good times, there will be bad times, there will be indifferent times, right? It's yeah. not a straight line. It's a line like this. But again, that's that's the way our society's been for the last, you know, 2023 years, and, and we'll we'll continue to be, you know. So, um, so yeah, that's certainly the way that I kind of think about it. But like, you know, it's fascinating, isn't it? Ten years time, you know, just 
yeah, it's it's a scary thought, but also an exciting thought, right? But but uh, but yeah. uh, but not one that I look. You know, if we if we keep showing up, Chris, every day, and we keep doing the things that you know we feel like we want to do, and you know what, some days we'll fall short, and some days we'll ex- over exceed, and some days yeah, yeah. we'll we'll look at it and be like, yeah, you know, we'll learn from it. But you know what, if we keep doing that every single day for the next three thousand six hundred days or whatever it may be. And in response to those challenges, you know what? It will. We will look back in ten years' time, and and we'll smile, or, and we'll look back on it fondly. I think. I can ask you a question about. Um, you've spoken about your kids a lot, and about how life has changed. You know. Sure. Did you adapt easily to becoming a dad, and that kind of transfer of the kids being focus priority? You know, as opposed to not as when they weren't there. I think so. And one of the reasons was, is so, so I had children quite late. So I had my first child when I was 39. So I was ready, right? I'd had yep. enough selfishness, me focused culture. Like I, I kind of done all that, right? I was ready, right? I was absolutely ready to kind of like to stop all that stuff and just become devoted to other people. Had you and always again, wanted was, kids? No, not really. Um, but, it was it was really because I wasn't with I wasn't with the right person, right? right. So it was the classic kind of wasn't with somebody that I, I was in love with, and you know, or we had children before we were married, but so it never really made sense. So it, and again, like it, it's difficult because you think about you know, you know, uh, men versus women have less biological pressure, obviously, to kind of think about these things. So wasn't really in a rush. Didn't really think about it. Just spent a lot a lot of time, you know focused in these other sort of bubbles, you know, like mm. work and startups and business and culture and, you know, just back to, back to the London thing, you know, just running around doing doing the London stuff, you know, as, as it were. So spent a lot of time doing that. And, um, and yeah, it was, I was ready, right? And some people okay. are and some people aren't. But again, it kind of goes back to, and I've had some, I would have some friends that would have kids, and they would say, and I, and I would ask them these questions, and I'd be like, "But you can't do X, and you can't do Y, and you can't do this." It goes back to the like, think about what you lose, not what you'll gain. And yep. I got some really great advice from a friend of mine, and he said to me, he's, "He's like, look, okay, kids come along, think about it like this: all that time you waste, gone, gone, can't have that anymore." I'm like, okay, but he's like, all the other things don't have to be gone. All the time wasting is gone. And you're like, well, hold on. That's stuff that I'm prepared to be gone, right? So it's actually, yeah. what it's a cliche thing, but I, I feel it, it makes you way more productive. You have less time to waste. So when I started having kids, like I stopped, I stopped drinking, I stopped going out, I stopped, you know, I was even still probably an old cigarette or two by then, stopped all of that stuff, right? And, and it was just like a case of, again, it's, it's what you... To what you gain and what you what I think a lot of people generally tend to think about what they lose, not what they gain. And yep. what you gain is like again, you, you feel a bit emotional saying it. It's like people say to you, it's like, oh, you know, more kids and chaos and crazy and stuff like that. But it's just that that one smile or that one yeah, action yeah, 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 or yeah. that one thing, you're like, this is worth a thousand bottles of wine or cheeseburgers or trips to wherever you just can't put a price or a value on it it's just this inc- 
incredible, incredible thing, which you just like, it's worth, everything's worth it. You know, like I'm having a fourth kid and you speak to people and you're like, oh, 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 you see it on their face. You're like, yeah, but think about, think about that. And they're like, oh yeah, okay, I get it. And it's just like, if you just position it and value it like that, yeah. you're like, that, that's the way that we think about it. So, so, so I was ready, you know, and, 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 you know, obviously there's a lot of people in this world, unfortunately, you know, aren't with the right person, you know, don't have, you know, plan, plan pregnancies and don't know these types of things. And it's, it's difficult. I absolutely understand yeah. that. But, but, you know, it's, it starts with, and this is obviously the hard bit as well. And it took me, took me many years to get that, but like, you know, find, find the right person. And then once you found the right person, everything's easy, but I appreciate it. it. Took me, took me a long time to find that person. That's for sure. Nice answer. Glad I asked that. Right. We're on to the last question. So you'll know that the previous question has asked this and I'm going to warn you now, it's quite deep one, right? <laughs> so when people okay. ask this question, there's a variety. Some are funny, some are serious. Sure. Um, this one's pretty up there on the uh, deep thing. So the question is, think of the most difficult time you've ever been through. How did you process it at the time? What did you learn from it? Do you think you'd react differently today? Think about the most difficult time you went through. How did you process it? And did you think... What did you learn? And do you think you'd react differently today? I might, I might have to, I'll give you a bit of time. I might have to start uh, like reviewing these questions beforehand and working out whether or not this is a, <laughs> someone needs to have this in advance. But uh... No, 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 it's, it's fine. So look, I, I'll put this in a work context and I, I will say this. So one of the most difficult times I went through for, in a work context was um, been at a business for a long time. I won't name it been at a business for a long time um had a lot of sweat equity and a lot of my uh reputation uh, was part of it Get coming towards the end of that particular road and, and job and stuff like that and we had a went through some major business changes and and the, the person that was sort of like then brought in to run the business was let's just say unpopular is is an understatement and also their conduct, which is a good thing about current work, wouldn't be allowed to get away with anymore, right? Right. And, you know, manipulative, abusive, kind of controlling, all sorts of stuff like that. And, and generally, that like, the, the atmosphere and the vibe of the office and the people that worked there were, were was awful, right? And I, I was kind of leaving, and I was leaving anyway, but I would say that, you went through the period where you know what it was pretty bad didn't sleep didn't eat you know all the kind of psychological sort of pressure that comes with it that can often mm. come with workplaces because the way that the it's kind of things are sort of held over you and how did i cope with it i coped with it because i could see an end date to it right and I think a yep. lot of people can't. And I think there's a lot of people in these similar... T- yeah. Because because maybe, you were leaving anyway. Well, yeah, I, I, I decided to leave anyway. But I kind of... I maybe worked a longer notice period than I, than I could have done. But it was it was a very, very uh, low time. Because it, it starts to affect everything, right? When you're yep. having problems at work, it, it, goes, it, goes, into, it goes into everything. 
right? And but back then, you know, work for me was was everything, right? It's absolutely everything. R- uh, roughly, how old were you? I know you didn't want to. Uh, mid thirties, decades, twenties, thirties, or forties. Mid thirties, mid thirties, mid thirties, I'd say, and early to mid thirties. And I guess the advice I would say, sort of, to anybody, kind of going back to it, man, is like, it ain't worth it. It just, it's just not worth the pain. It because these experiences. You know, a little bit of you dies when you go through them, mm-hmm. right? It's just not worth it, right? It's just it, 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 it's not worth it. And again, there are there is there is something better where you just don't need to be going through that, right? Yeah, is is what I would say, and that that would be my advice. And again, I'm sure there's lots of people hearing this and going through it today. Just kind of they may be in a sort of situation they can't get out of or a mental prison or kind of like this types of pressure or something that they really really hate and it's just because it just it can't it comes into your and we see this a lot on linkedin don't we these people are kind of like oh yeah we get the we get the sunday night fear i used to have Mm. that right for you know don't want to go to bed at sunday night because i don't want to wake up on monday because i have to go through it again right just it's just not worth it chris and again, like we've 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 come a long way as 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 a workplace and a society and a culture that a lot of that is not as acceptable as it as it used to be, but I think it still exists and it's just you know life is just way more important than that. Like absolutely, it, you know, it most definitely still exists. I've I've heard several stories that have kind of shocked me in recent weeks, and what's funny is I was having a call with a guy yesterday. And we were talking about, so I've been, I went through a similar situation to that. We all have, right? We've all got a story. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, but we have all got a story. That's what I was going to say is like, when you're deep in it, you don't think there's ever any way out. And I, I was the same. I didn't think there's any way out. And the amount of people I've spoken to have been in a similar situation and have pulled the ripcord on it in one way or another, have always somehow gone on to find something better or more interesting like a lot quicker so a lot of the reasons we won't pull that ripcord is because like shit we need the money like how are we going to pay the bills we can't do whatever and it's kind of i mean it's it's a small sample size but not like minute everyone i've spoken to about this has gone on to do something a lot better as a result of it and it's worth remembering that right because if you are listening to that this and you're in that position and you don't think there's any way out and that fear is there, just know that it, that it will be, it will be better. Look, exactly, Chris. But, but again, it's, you end up in that position where you're not rational. And again, yeah. it's, you know, you can be in this kind of like psychological place where like, you know, you want to, you want to maintain your, your position. You want to maintain your legacy. You want to maintain, you know, you want to just want to do a good job. Right. But at the same time, it has to be reciprocal, right? And as you say, it's just it's just not worth it. And again, this is one of the problems with, with, with the economy, right? It's like because the economy's tough and it's scary and it, you know, hard job market or whatever and whatever they things they tell you, again, it adds to the inertia, right? That people are being mm-hmm. like, Well, like, you know what? Gotta stick it out, gotta gut it out, and I've gotta sort of just just kind of deal with it. I have no choice. 
you have a choice. Right? Yes. You always have a choice because here's the thing. Lots of these organizations, like, you know, they'll just move on. The damages these things can do to you longer term. That You, mm. you know, I, you're right. You see people, they still have it, right? Still yeah. have those demons. You're still having those types of situations. And it's crazy because... You know, it shouldn't be that way, but I, I see it. Less less of it, hopefully. But again, it, it touches on a couple of points, right, that we talked about before. It's like they're kind of like, you know, be a farmer. Don't have any of that, right? Mm. And, you know, I think it's probably also as well even potentially more of a problem in this work from home space because it's just there isn't this just ability to give someone, I'm not saying you can do a hug or whatever, give someone a hug or do all this type of stuff. There's just a lot more of this, this kind of thing. So, so yeah, like it's not worth it. Talk, and also the other thing is, is that talk to people. And yeah. back then, like decade ago, or whatever it was, like we certainly didn't feel as comfortable talking about it. Like certainly mm. in something like this, like it would just be like, right, suffer in silence grin and bear it like get on with it like go all these types of things like people talk about it now right you know and again you've got you, you know coaches therapists you know i you know i've, I've seen all of them like, and i wouldn't have done that before so talk about it right and 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 also as well like i would talk to my friends and stuff about it but talk to people like people like yourself right so like yeah. we have similar types of backgrounds probably been in similar types of foxholes similar types of ages stuff Talk to them, Chris, because you'll be like, well, it's not just me. It's like, yeah, yeah. oh, okay, 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 okay. I'm not, you know, I, you know, this situation is because of me. It's not, right? It's because of, you know, the industry or society or, or wherever it may be. But as you say, get out, find the place that's right for you and just kind of and, and thrive from there. James, I think that's a really positive place to end this podcast. I want to thank you. 100% for your time this morning which is now this afternoon <laughs> this has gone on longer and I know you are busy so I, I really do appreciate it where can anyone who wants to come say hi check check you out where should I point them uh yes so LinkedIn is probably the best place to find me so um James Hamlin on LinkedIn just find me talk to me about fractional CMO stuff talk to me about agency stuff talk to me about wherever you want it's probably the simplest place place to find me um on there and it's it's the only real real social network i'm particularly active i'm um do anything and i'm not that active but you'll kind of find me so yeah james hamlin on linkedin come find me come and connect and let's stay in touch be great right i will put that in the show notes james thank you so much thanks chris that was thank you interview with james hamlin if you made it to the end thank you i hope you enjoyed it i'm assuming so since you're still here Feel free to share any thoughts on any of the social channels at 10Q Interview everywhere you may look. And as I said in the introduction, if you want some extra bonus points, a review, a rating, you know, the star thing, anything you want to share would be much appreciated. That's all from me for now. Make sure you subscribe wherever you're listening to this. And the next 10Q Interview episode will be live in your feed very, very soon. Take care. Bye.